So we're trying a, a wireless mic this morning. It sounds like it sounds pretty good, Chris. I want to thank Chris, man. People don't know how much Chris does for us behind the scenes. He's got technical skills that I don't have, and so when it comes to our sound equipment and things, he tells us what to order. He puts it in for us. He's just gracious to us. So, yeah, give Chris a hand. Thank you, Chris. It's good to have the Fishers back, Matt and Ann. I know you probably, or, or there's probably mixed emotions about being back. You'd probably soon still be on vacation, but we're glad you had a restful time. It's good to have you back with us. Uh, Christy West, that also works behind the scenes, had a big, big birthday this year. Christy, I don't know if I should tell it or not. Was it 30? Yeah, yeah. No, she hit the big five though. So happy, uh, happy birthday, Christy. It's good to have you. So um, thank you for what you do. You know, I thought it was interesting Madison's announcements in light of the study of James. There's a lot that we can be involved in church. God, you know, God didn't call us to save us for us to come in each Sunday and leave each Sunday and have no impact on our culture. Um, there's a lot of things going on out there in the body of Christ where people need help. And so Pastor David's ministry is a great ministry. I, I believe every church should have two ministries uh, as part of their, their uh, things they're involved in. I think one is a ministry of do that through love life. And you will hear more about that as we go on. And I think you should have a ministry to the poor. And that's what Dave, Pastor David does. And so, and PSS is part of a ministry of life. I think it's been easy for the church to celebrate the Roe v. Wade. And I thank God for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But now the church has said this is wrong. It's, we've lobbied, we've tried to put candidates in, we've worked behind the political process is how we affect culture in this, in this nation, but now's the time to get to work. Now's the time to say, Mom, Dad, you're not out there alone. You can come to the church. We'll help you. You can go to PSS, and there'll be churches there that will help you, help you meet your financial need. They're going to help you know what it means to be a mom, maybe even a single mom. So I just want to challenge you. And as I move into the teaching of on works. Chris, there's a bit of echo. Is it, can y'all hear it? Okay, thank you. <laughs> As I begin to go through the, I'm going to lay out other areas in our community where if you're so inclined, you can get involved. And I know many of you that still work and we live busy lives, but all of us can do something. If every person does something, then we impact this world and we impact our culture. So we've started in this study of the book of James together. I say together because I hope that you have read the book. It's five chapters. And what I did we're going through the book of Genesis was I had been sending out the scriptures that I was going to cover. Well, I haven't done that in James because it's only five chapters. So I hope you've read it. And I'm going to be going chapter by chapter. And I think you get more out of it. You glean more out of it if you've read it when you come in. And I've had a couple people come up to me and say, hey, I, I love the book of James. I've read it multiple times. I've had a couple people come up and say, I want to ask you a question about something. Or I had one come up recently say, I want to tell you I disagree on something. I love that. I don't have all the answers. Uh, it, and so read it. Let's read it. Let's study it. And let's, let's grow together as we go through this book. Uh, the, uh, as I opened up with the intro to James, we saw that James was a pastor. He had been a pastor of the Jerusalem church. He was the half-brother of Jesus. And so as I think about James as a pastor and what he wrote about to his congregation or to his readers, it was no surprise to me that James started out talking about trials. Because I shared with you that I've been asked a couple times, what's different about being the lead pastor as opposed to just being a, 
a lay leader in the church, and it is that I carry, I feel the trials of our people more. Now, I felt them anyway, and I know you all bear each other's burdens. I, one thing that blesses me in this church on Wednesday nights and Sundays after church is we end the service, but then we see people still ministering to each other. I still see people praying for each other, talking. And so I think that's important. And so it was no surprise to me that James started out with trials because they're hard. And we, chapter 1 was the trials were categorized into two categories. External, which are trials of sickness and worry and death. The things that we all deal with, we're not immune to those trials. And I gave you three verbs out of that to, to face those trials with. To, to consider the trial, consider it. To know some things, know some things. Know that God's with you. Know that He's going to see you through the trial. And then to ask, ask God for wisdom. And so then last week we went to the internal trials of temptation. We're all tempted. If Jesus was tempted, we will be tempted. And so we dealt with temptation, how that's going to be a struggle and the things we're going to have to deal with our whole life. We're going to be tempted and, and Satan knows our weak areas and how we confront those and how we overcome those and get stronger at, at dealing with that as we go through. So that was no surprise to me as James as a pastor. But the first 13 verses of chapter 2 was a bit of a surprise to me. He switches from that to favoritism and partiality. And I'm going to read the, the text here in just a moment. And before studying this, I would have just breezed right through this and said, I, I would never do that. But as I studied it and as I studied the deeper, deeper implications of it, I'm like, I'm not so sure that that's not something we all deal with too and we all struggle with. So if you have your Bibles, your smartphones, your devices, or whatever you read from, if you'll turn with me to James Chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. The title of the message this morning is A Faith That Does Not Discriminate. James says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you will pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of it all. For he who said, do not murder, who you said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, have you become a transgressor of the law? So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the conviction that it brings, for the joy that it brings, and the hope that it brings. I pray, God, that you've prepared the hearers to hear it, and you've prepared my heart and mouth to deliver it. 
And we ask your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Before I move into this uh, lesson, I would like for you to watch a short video with me. closer the person is to us and the less common the struggle, the easier it is to love. God forbid I find out my wife has three months to live. I quit my job. I quit everything, right? What if it's just an acquaintance of yours? And what if the problem's recurring? The more common and further from us how common is homelessness? And how frequently is the homeless person someone dear to us personally? Never. So I took a few moments a couple of weeks ago and camped outside of a couple of our campuses and I wanted to see how we were doing you know when it's hardest to love so that that video is a little convicting to me yes, sir. It, it made me ask some questions though I asked myself okay what happened if if we came to church this morning and there was a homeless person sitting outside of our door what what would we do now listen, I'm going to be biased in my opinion. I know that about our church. But one thing about our church, I think and I've often heard about our church, we're loving. We're welcoming and accepting. We've had some homeless people in our church before. And I know that you have met with them and spoken with them. Uh, I've asked Sister Teresa to have some gift cards, some food line gift cards to give the folks like that because we want them to feel welcome here. I, I thought... I must admit, I laughed a little bit. Some of those, they didn't know what to do. One guy walked over, and he started, and he turned around. And that was a dude that had a name tag on. I think he was part of the church. And, and sometimes when people are that much different from us, we, we just don't know what to do. We don't know how to, we don't deal with folks like that. So we don't, Pastor Dave, we don't know how to deal with them. And my, my former profession allowed me to deal with that, but Pastor David deals with them. But once you get to know them, you find they're just people like we are. Many times there's just been some bad choices. Or maybe life's dealt them a hand, an incredibly hard hand. And God loves them. And so as I thought about that video, I thought, now compare what it would have been like if on that Sunday they had a big name evangelist. What if uh, Creflo Dollar had been there that day? Or what if Joel Olstein had been in their church that day? Or, or some of the big names in Christendom. They would have had that evangelist back in a room somewhere making sure he had coffee or water and a nice place to sit and can we do anything for you? That's just the way we are. And so that was a bit convicting to me. And that's what James is dealing with when he deals in here with this chapter. Is that a rich man has come into their assembly and they treat him completely different. Now, I think there's a couple things we need to know as we go through this. 
Now, I'm going to be using the words favoritism and partiality, and I'm going to use them interchangeably. Different uh, uh, versions of the Bible use the same word. But a couple things I think will help us understand as we go through this. Because like I said, before studying this, I would have breezed through this. I would have said, look, I would never treat someone like that. And honestly, I hope that I would not. I, I would just be surprised that if that would happen here at Bethel, that you all would just walk by him. I have a feeling that man would be sitting in here amongst us and somebody would be caring for him and feeding him or maybe trying to find out something about him and how we could care for his needs. Talk a little bit more about how we go through, through how we deal with that in our culture because unfortunately in our culture, a lot of times there's a fine line between helping someone in their need and enabling their constant poor decisions. But we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go through. First of all, I thought it was important to start out with what favoritism or partiality is not. I think we know what it is, but I think it's important in the church to start out with what it is not. Partiality and favoritism is not showing honor. It's okay to show honor to people for their service, such as pastors, youth pastors, leaders in the church. It is perfectly okay to show them honor. It's okay to show honor to certain professions that we honor. We should honor our military. And we do here. We should honor our first responders. And we do here. As a matter of fact, we had five, five or six firefighters here Friday night. We had a, an unusual smell in the foyer. And we couldn't figure out what it was. And so we called the fire department. And those guys came here and they spent some time with us, Brother Dan. They walked all over and measured the air quality. And we thought they were done. He come back in. He goes, have you got a um, water heater here? I said, he said, where is it? He wanted to measure one more time. And so we honor them for what they do. They serve us. And it's okay to honor them. It's okay to honor people for their accomplishments. We honor our graduates often. And we honor people for milestones in life, as we should. And so many times when we do that, I think people stand up and they feel like they got to give this caveat. Well, we're first here to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that. Everything we do in our life is to honor the Lord. The Bible says everything and all things were to honor Him and to be pleasing to Him. And we honor Him when we honor people. And so it's okay. And that's not what this admonition is against. And if I'm going to tell you that, then I need to give you some scriptures to back that up. And that's what I'm going to do. In 1 Timothy 5-17, through 5, 17, Paul's writing to Timothy says this, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially those who labor in the Word and doctrine. So we're to honor those who prepare and, and, and stay true to the Word and teach us in the Word. They're to be honored. Romans 13 and 7, Paul writing to the church at Rome said, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. And then lastly, 1 Peter, Peter writing says this in 1 Peter 2.17, honor all people. We're to honor all people. Love the brotherhood. We should love each other. Fear God and honor the king. We're to honor our leaders. We're to honor our political leaders. We're to pray for our leaders. We're to pray for Joe Biden. We're to pray for President Trump. We're to pray for our governor. Although in many of those and some, many of those I disagree with. I heard one pastor, I challenged people one time, he said, how many times have you talked junk about how much you don't like President Biden and his policies? And a lot of hands went up. He said, how many times have you prayed for him? Because we're commanded to pray for him. But we also should be out and working and letting our voices be heard about what's important out here in this culture on a righteous standpoint. 
That's important. So we can see that's not what that is. I think it's important to understand that James' day was much different than ours. The early church knew nothing, little to nothing, of a middle class. You were either rich or you were poor. There was not what we know as a middle class. That's not true with us. In our nation today, we have very few poor by the world standards poor. And I've said this before, by the mere fact that you sit here this morning in nice clothing, you drove here in a car, you came out of a home, I would imagine, by the world's standards, and our God is a God of the world, not a God of America, we're wealthy people. We're all rich. As God would define wealth, we're rich. But they knew nothing of this idea of a middle class. There were no social systems we have today. There was no food stamps. There was no Section 8 housing. There was none of these social systems that we have to help people. And I'm glad that we have a government that does that. Unfortunately, I think it's abused. I think people have made it a lifestyle. We should help people. The Bible also says a man don't work, a man don't eat. Could you imagine if we started enforcing that more? There'd probably be more people working. I have a friend of mine, he said this, he said, if I'm going to be tired, I'm not going to be hungry. If I'm going to be hungry, I'm not going to be tired. And so, and, and, and that's coming from someone who watched his family go on public assistance, who has a wife whose family went on public assistance. But it was done for what it was designed for, and that was to help my dad get over a hump. But they would have known nothing of that. They would have known nothing of that. So therefore, people depended on the church in that time for food and essentials. It was much more of a community than what we would know today. We come in from all over the place. We spend an hour and a half together, maybe on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Friday night, and then we go back out to our worlds. They lived in much more of a community than we would have lived. And they would have needed the church. That's why getting put out of the church and church discipline would have been a big deal. But today, we go to folks who've committed themselves to a church, find out they're living in a sinful lifestyle, and say, we need to have a conversation about how you're living. It's done right. It's done in love. You can't judge me. I'll just leave and go to the church down the street to let me do that. Okay. It wasn't like that then. If you got put out of the church, you got put out of, the, of a, a body that loved you, but also really provided for your essential needs. So a rich man would have been very important to a local church. When he walked in wearing fine clothes and jewelry, people would have been thinking, this man can really help us live. And so it's easy to be critical and say, well, I wouldn't have done, never done that, and maybe you wouldn't. But if you're thinking, you know, if this guy really gives to this local body, we can help feed each other. We can help meet our basic needs of life. It would have been a lot different than what we deal with today because you're not going to go out and have a social system and things that are going to do those things for you. So I'm not really critical because I realize now, looking at the context of that, what that man could have meant. But James made it real clear, that does not matter. It does not matter. We have to understand uh, that what we're supposed to do is reflect the character of God. And we know that God is merciful. He's long-suffering. He's for a giving God. He's a loving God. Thank God for that. But He's also an impartial God. He shows no partiality. He gave a command to treat the poor and the rich just alike. When He was setting up His nation... When he called Moses out and he set up a nation and he gave him the law in the book of Leviticus, 
He told him this in Leviticus 19 and 15. As he was setting up, this is how I want you to live, Moses. This is how I want my people to live. And this is how I want you to treat people. In Leviticus 19 and 15, he said, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. God was saying, you treat the poor and the rich alike. You don't treat one any better than the other. There should be no partiality in justice. Now, I think our justice system is still one of the best in the world, but I can tell you it's not completely impartial. I can promise you, I've seen this and some of you have, if you have a bunch of money, there's a good chance you're going to have a different outcome in a case than someone who's poor. Now, that's oftentimes that's not by design. It's by our fallen nature. But God said no. God said treat everybody the same. In Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19, he said this, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. God loves the poor and the outcasts, just like he loves the rich and the well-connected. Jesus himself was God in flesh. He embodied all the qualities of God. And he too showed no partiality. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were trying to trick him. They come to him. Can you imagine trying to trick Jesus? But they came to him, asked him a question. They're trying to figure out, you know, pay ta- is, it, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar, trying to trip him up. But before they did that, they said this to him in Luke 20 and 21. Then they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly, and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Now they said that, and they knew that to be true, but they did not like that. Why? They had been the beneficiaries of the personal favoritism. They were the ones that when they walked into the synagogue, you better get up and give them the best place in the in seat. And they liked that. They liked for people to get out of the way and honor them because they were the religious teachers. But that didn't mean a thing to Jesus. As a matter of fact, the only people that I see Jesus really excoriating are those folks. Well, he told he, he said, look, y'all like whitewashed tombs. You're twice as much the, the sons of hell as the devil. He, he come after them. And a lot of that was for that reason. Their hearts were not in the right place. And then lastly, thank God, God's salvation is for all people. There's a scripture, I don't want Christy not to put, don't put the Acts up yet, Christy. I want to I set the stage for this scripture because I think it's very important with this scripture to set the context. Because this is, to me, this is one of the scriptures that is taken out of context in the church as much as any scripture I've ever heard in all my years of being in church. And it is so important that it be in the right context, as all scriptures are. Because if it's not in the right context, it's going to cause confusion. It's going to cause you to doubt whether or not God is who He says He is and whether or not He really loves you or not. How many of you heard this said? God is no respecter of persons. You heard that before? I've heard it a lot. But unfortunately, a lot of times I hear it in this context. God's healed me, He's going to heal you. God's blessed me, He's going to bless you. God's done this for me, He's going to do that for you. That is not the context of this scripture. 
Because I don't know about you, but when I look over my life and I look through life, I've seen people that God's moved in their lives, but He knew and moved in this life. I've seen children that, you know, they had cancer and they made it through and they got healed. My niece didn't. So what are you telling me? If I walk in and I don't really know anything about this, you're telling me that God's going to do for me because He's done for one, but I, I don't see that happening. That's not the context of the Scripture. Because if you get there, then you get people to thinking, well, maybe He won't save me then. Because clearly he's a respecter of persons by the context that you set that in for me. Well, let me set it for you. Acts 10. Write that on your note page and read that when you get home. It's a great story. A man named Cornelius. He's a Gentile. He's a centurion. But he loves God. He loves the Jewish God. The Bible says he's devout. He prays. He fasts. He gives alms. And and an angel comes to him and says, There's a man in Joppa named Peter. Send some of your servants and go get Peter and bring him to your house. He, he needs, you need to hear from Peter. And so he does. Well, at that time, Peter is up on the housetop about to eat, and he has a vision. And he sees this sheet coming up and down out of heaven. And on that sheet is food. But on that, that food would be unclean by the Mosaic law. And a voice from heaven says to Peter, Peter, get up and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 I've kept the law. I'm not going to eat anything unclean. And God says to Peter, don't call anything unclean that I've cleaned. Okay? I don't think he's really sure what that means yet. But then somebody knocks at his door. There's these two men. They said, are you Peter? I am. Why are you here? Cornelius told us to come see you and bring you to his house. So Peter gets up. He brings them in. He takes care of them. And the next day they go to Caesarea to see Cornelius. They walk in. I always find this interesting as it relates to people in the Catholic faith bowing down at the Pope. Because when Peter walks in, Cornelius bends at his feet. Peter says, oh, get up, get up, get up, get up. I'm a man just like you are. Okay? And he begins to tell him about who the Lord is. He begins to tell him about Jesus. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit fell and they begin to speak in tongues. And Peter says, whoa, clearly the Gentiles have access to God just like we do. And that prompts this scripture out of Acts. Acts 10, 34 through 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation who fears Him and works righteousness, He is accepted by Him. Let me tell you, it don't matter if you're black, white, Hispanic, rich, poor, young, old. You come and bow at the the cross of Jesus Christ, repent of your sins. He will save your soul. There's no respecter of persons. He loves you. He gave himself for you. And the kingdom of God, the Bible says in the end times, that every tribe, nation, and tongue will gather around that throne, worship him, glorify him. and It'll be the most diverse gathering we've ever seen in the world. The world doesn't have any... uh, a hold on diversity. The kingdom of God is diverse. And that is what that context is. Is God going to heal you because he healed someone else? I don't know. That's his business. We're going to pray. We're going to trust him. But what I can tell you for certain from this scripture, that if you come with a sincere heart, if you beat your heart like the publican and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, he will save you. That I do know. And that is the context of that scripture. So God's not impartial, but are we? Are we? Sure we are. Sure we are. 
It's part of our sin nature. It's just part of who we are. But like everything else, there's things we just have to guard against. There's things we have to take captive in our minds when we see them coming. So I've written down a few areas of partiality in our world today, and I think they are creep into our churches. First area of partiality, which is really what James is dealing with here, is people with money. As I stated, the man would have been very helpful in James' day. But church, money and influence should never be a factor for a pastor of a church as he makes decisions and as he preaches sermons. I did a little impromptu survey on this. I called several pastors that I know. One of them being Pastor Don. And I asked him, I said, in all the years that you've preached, have you ever prepared a sermon or been dealing with an issue in the church and you know that the person that you're dealing with is maybe a big giver in the church. And it gave you pause. You're like, you know, especially if it's a, especially if it's a smaller congregation and you really, it's like, ah. Uh. Not surprised by all those that I talked to because I know these men to be men of integrity. But all of them said, no, I've, I've never done that. Now, they did say there's, they deal with that in other issues. I had one tell me, a young pastor, he said, when all the mask wearing was going on, you know, we tried to find a way to navigate that here, to be conscious of each other. He said, I felt like if I get up there and I, I say something that the mask wearers don't like, they're going to leave. And if I say something the anti-masks wear, they're going to leave and everybody's going to leave and I ain't going to have my left in the church. And, and, and guess what? When the folks walk out, the money walks out and, and we, it still takes money to function in this church and in the church. By the way, you have been so faithful. I meant to say something in the opening, and I don't want to spend too much time in this, but I, I sent out a challenge to this church to help with pioneers. It's a, it's a starting church down right in the heart of downtown Durham. I told you the story, uh, how they was planted there by the Methodists, but someone came and wanted them to do a same-sex marriage, and they said, you know, we just believe that God's design is between a man and a woman, and all, literally all hells broke loose on them. But they stood their ground, and they did it with a heart of love and compassion, and the, the Methodist church disaffiliated with them. The, another denomination picked them up, and now they're trying to renew their lease, and, and they're making inroads into the, into the gay community. That's the thing. They have them coming in now, able to sit down and have some conversation and see we're not those people who hate them. But I, I challenged you, and I, I told Teresa I was hoping we would get $1,000. We took up $2,600 for Pioneer's Church. So I want to thank you for that. And that was a real blessing to that church. Just a quick update. Uh, another group that's well-funded has come in now and offered even bigger money. And so they're, they're partnering. They're reaching for some other churches. And they're hoping they can stay there. Bethel, we've done our part. But I'm going to ask that you pray. Because you know what? When, God, when, when it's out of our hands, that's when God does his best work. That's when he does his best work. And it's totally out of their hands. And they're trusting in God. And he was, I met with Pastor Daniel this week. Brother Michael has a great relationship when he's a young man. Yeah, and he's just got a heart for people. And so he, I said, well, what happens, Pastor, if you don't raise the money? He said, well, I just have to start looking for another building. But he believes that God's planted him right there because he's right in the heart. He's right there at Motoco and all the, all the places, all the bars. That church sits right in the middle of it. And so just pray for Pioneer's Church this week because the battle, the battle still rages. But money is still a factor in the church. But none, every one of these men said no. 
They said, no, it's, it's never influenced me. So then I asked another question. I said, has there ever been a time when someone came and they knew they had money and resources? And they knew maybe just that they were large givers in the church. And they came and they, you could sense that they were expecting maybe some different treatment on something. That they'd be handled a little bit different. And many of them said, yes, yes, I have experienced that. And one's as wrong as the other. And I'll tell you, if God's blessed you financially and he's challenged us all to be givers in the church and he's decided to bless you financially, but you're going to take that blessing now and try to use it as some type of lordship over the church, be careful. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. He gave you the ability to make, make that wealth. Don't use that money to manipulate a, a congregation or a church. You'll find yourself in hot water. But it happens. I didn't have time to do a large survey or do a lot of studying on this, but I know that it does happen because money and influence is still a big influential tool in our society. And the churches need money. My oldest son, Hayden, he was going to be a praise and worship leader. That's what he went to school for. And I got to tell you, I was telling someone, I was praying, look, Hayden, I would rather you do praise and worship as a, as a volunteer and make your money out somewhere else. Because as his dad, I was always afraid, look, He's going to be a praise and worship leader in some church. And we always know the devil's in the music anyway, Brother Matt. And somebody's going to come in. They're not going to like that music. They're not going to like that style. They're going to have, be a big giver. They're going to get in the pastor's ear. And the next thing you know, my son, he's going to have a family. He's going to be out of job looking for a job. Now, I know that shows a tremendous lack of faith, and God will have to forgive me for it. So, but I prayed. I said, Lord, I would rather see him make a job out. Now, I didn't know that was going to send him to the Lutherans. If I'd have known that, I'd just done something different. But... Because uh, I'm still praying that he's going to come and use that gift that God's given him again. Because uh, he can sing and he can play, and I, I want to see him, see him sing and play. But money's still influential. You know, we see that Tammy and I several years ago were in Boston, and uh, we walked into a church, this old colonial church. It would have been a church built in the 1800s. And they had box pews. Anybody ever seen those? You walk into an old church and he's got pews like us, but at the end of some of the pews, there's a box. And some of them even had a lock on them. And it had a name on there. And if you were an influential family, that's your pew. That's your box. Okay, direct violation of what I think James is saying. But it happened. These people had money, they had influence, and that was their box. Now, I want you to be honest with me for a minute. I'm going to be honest with you. We ain't quite that bad, but you know good and well, there's sometimes you walk in here and we're creatures of habit and we're all sitting in the same place and there's a visitor and they go, as soon as you walk in and they're in your seat for a minute and it perturbs you a little bit and you're like, that's my seat. That's my seat. Don't you? You do it. That's my seat. We do that, and, and, I, and I'm joking, you know, I, but I do that, and I'm like, Larry, come on now. Just go sit over here. They'll, they'll, maybe they'll come back. Maybe they won't. But if they stay here long enough, you can say, look, that's my seat. Could you find some else? <laughs> but they had booths back then, and you, you know, if you were influential enough, you had it. We, partiality and money and influence. Do you think we show other places we show partiality in our nation? And, and oftentimes, how about partiality and looks? Do you know study after study after study shows that attractive people make higher sales than people who are deemed unattractive? That's just because that's just we're shallow people. We like people who we deem to be attractive, whether we know it or not. I saw this firsthand. 
uh, I was at a conference years ago when I was still with the police department, and at conferences, just like the conference at the church, for those of you who were there, they have vendors set up outside. And what they want you to do is maybe start using their thing. At, at the church conference, we had someone there who had a, he had a cybersecurity guy. We have missionaries out there. And, you know, as, as the people are not in the conference, they want you to stop by their vending booth and learn a little bit about their product, or in this case, maybe missionaries. Well, same was true in law enforcement. They'd have people who sell uniforms and um, all kinds of things, guns, you name it. They, they want departments to consider their product. And this is right before I was going to retire, and I, I, I was out and walking around the vendor uh, area, and I looked over, and uh, there was a, a booth over there, and there were so many people over there, men particularly, you couldn't stir them with a stick. And I was like, man, what are they, what are they selling over there? And these vendors a lot of times will give things away too, so I'm like, well, what? maybe they're giving something good away i got to see what's going on over there. So I walked over. The closer I got, I saw a blonde over there, very attractive blonde. And she had a, a body camera on her blouse. And I look at these dogs right here. Just look at them. And, and that was the time when body cameras were first coming in. And I know they don't care a thing about no body camera, but all of a sudden they had a huge interest in body cameras. <laughs> so I walked over there. and I, But you know what? The, the, the company, smart. They're smart. Male-dominated uh, profession. Why not do that? Every man's coming over there, most of them. All of a sudden, they got interest in body cameras. We show partiality. How about in age and race? I think we show partiality in age and race as people get older. We don't see them as valuable to our society. That's why it's so important to have a diverse church. A church made up of young and old and black and white and Hispanic. Because we can all learn something from each other, from our life experiences. We're all equal and same under the cross. We're all in the same need. And God has called a diverse kingdom to himself. But these things creep into our hearts and they creep into our minds. And we just simply take them captive. And understand that that's not the God that we serve. That prompts James to ask four rhetorical questions. Four rhetorical questions. First he says this. Have you not shown partiality and become judges with evil thoughts? When he's talking to them about how they're treating this rich man, he says, you've shown partiality and you've become judges with evil thoughts. He said, those thoughts are evil. You know, you wouldn't think about that as being evil when you think about evil. But he said, it's evil. He says, has God not chosen the poor in the world to be rich in him? He's chosen the poor. Look what Jesus did. Royalty, king of kings, lord of lords, stepped out of heaven into a palace. No. Stepped out of heaven into royalty on earth. No. He come out of heaven. Pastor Don this past Wednesday taught about this. He come out of heaven into a dirty old cave to be poor, to have nothing, to walk amongst the poor and the disconnected, to love them and show them that they're a part of the kingdom of God as much as the rich and the well-connected. Is it rich to be sin? Is it a sin to be rich? No. Abraham was rich. Job was rich. Joseph of Arimathea was rich. Solomon was rich. But you, there's a lot of admonitions in the scriptures. You better guard it because it is always competing for your allegiance. He asked, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into court? When we see Christians today in America that are being oppressed or persecuted for their faith, it's not the poor doing that. It wasn't the poor that drugged the cake baker and keeps dragging him into court. 
and all these other cases that we see. It's not the poor, it's the rich, it's the well-connected, it's the government and all its resources that are doing that. It's not the poor. And lastly, he says, do, not, do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? Have you ever seen a time when it seems like the rich and the well-connected hate the name of Jesus? It's just not that they're indifferent to it. They hate it. Hate it. I don't watch them, these Grammys and all these shows anymore. But, but that's a symbol, I think, of our rich and well-connected more than anything, is that these type of Grammy award shows. These people are wealthy, ultra-wealthy, ultra-popular. And this past year, a band by the name of Sam Smith did a performance, a demonic performance. Even secular society is saying it was a demonic performance. And it was sponsored by Pfizer. And that's what goes on with the rich and the, they blasphemed the name of Jesus. Not all of them. Thank God we have a lot of very wealthy believers. Samaritan's Purse, I've had a chance to see that operation up front. Not long ago, someone bought a jet for Samaritan's Purse. Now, you got some money if you can buy a jet. So there's a lot of people out there with money that love God and they've got it in the right perspective, but you've got to keep it in the right perspective. In closing, what it boils down to, James says in verses 8 through 13, this boils down as it, what it boils down to is a violation of God's law. It, it's a violation of God's commandments. And the commandment he uses in that, it says, we shall love our neighbor as ourselves. We know there's ten commandments, but we know Jesus narrowed those down to two. The first four is man's relationship to God was summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then the last six was man's relationship to man was summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm reminded of the story of the Good Samaritan where he had a man trying to come to Jesus, ask him how he inherits eternal life. And Jesus says, well, how do you read it? What does the law say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then the Bible says this. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked him, he said, okay, who's my neighbor? What he's asking is, who do I got to love? Because I, if I got to know who I got to love, then I can know who I don't have to love. And, and pastor said something Wednesday. He said, Jesus didn't go anywhere by chance. Every place he went, he went with a purpose. He didn't say anything that didn't mean something. And he said, there's a certain man that went down to Jericho and he fell in the hands of robbers and they beat him up, left him for dead. And a priest, religious man, he come by. He's like these guys on the video. He's like, mm, he went on the other side of the road. So did a Levite, another religious man, other side of the road. Jesus would have been talking to Jews. And he says, but a certain Samaritan, as soon as he said Samaritan, half, probably 95% of Jews have been... We ain't talking about no Samaritans in here. Now, forget that. I don't want to hear nothing else you have to say because they hated each other. It wasn't, that wasn't coincidence. Jesus was telling him the Samaritan took care of him. The Samaritan bandaged his wounds. The Samaritan took him somewhere and took care of his needs. Jesus said, who was a neighbor to that man? And you know that, you know that guy was like, the Samaritan. Sure he was. Sure he was. Why? Because he did something for him, church. He he met his needs. And he said, you're violating the law and favoritism is a violation of God's law. The praise team can come forward.
And then what James did, once again being a pastor, he knew that people then, like people today, when you start asking them if they're a good person, yeah, I'm a good person, well, why? I ain't killed nobody. I, you know, I'm a good person. They jump right to murder. I ain't killed nobody. But James says here, look, if you stumble in one part of the law, you stumbled in it all. So you may not have killed nobody. You may not have committed adultery. But have you shown favoritism or partiality? Have you treated people differently based on their money, their race, their age? Have you done that? Because James said if you've done it, you might as well have murdered because you've broken God's royal law and commandments. And he closes by this. He says, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Who here, I, know, I do, who in here needs God's mercy? Thankful for God's mercy. Boy, I'm thankful for his mercy. I need it every day. And what he's saying, Larry, if you want his mercy, if you want my mercy, you need to show mercy. You want my grace, you need to give grace. And that's what we're to do. That's what we're to do. I'm going to ask all of you would to stand for just a moment. If you're here this morning and never accepted the Lord as your Savior, something in your heart is burning within you that you need to make things right between you and God, the altar is open. We'll, we're always going to do this, church. We're always going to do it. We're always going to do it. Christ come to save our sins. So as they play for just a moment, I want you to know that the altar is open. I'm going to ask the praise team to sing that song lightly. And I'm going to ask everyone who will uh, to come and gather with us around the altar. This is how we finish our service. If you're here today and I know it's getting close to, to 12 and, and you say, I really got to go, you're free to leave. Uh, but we just close with a time of prayer and, and worship around our altar. And so as they begin to sing this, I'm going to ask everyone who will to come. And just let's just stand around the altar for a few minutes. the bridge.